Welcome back to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam, founder of I Am The Code. I want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Thank you for everything you have done for I Am The Code. It means so much to us. It means so much that you are sharing and talking about our organization. Our girls are keeping well, and we are so excited to have crossed a massive milestone. We have become a foundation. I remember when we started I Am The Code, so many people supported us. They stood with us and they believed in us. That was just remarkable. I remember standing up at the United Nations, in the middle of the United Nations. I couldn't believe that we were going to be recognized as an organization. So for all of you out there who participated in the growth and development of I Am The Code, I sincerely want to say, I am truly grateful for this milestone. Thank you. That's why I'm so excited to have my dear sister and friend, Uli Matasar. She was one of the first people that supported us and believed in us. She's regional director for UN Women in West Africa and Central Africa. Uli Mata is a change agent, very quiet, very private, but a change agent. She shares and connects people. When I decided to have her on the podcast, I wanted her, I want you to hear from her, her story and how she made it here. She gives credit where it's due. And I think we all need that right now. We appreciate her humbleness in leadership in Africa. She makes us proud on the global stage. And I believe she has got a, an amazing and remarkable attitude in positivity and we had a conversation the other day and she said to me Mariam if we want to make a difference in policies in social norms in all of the stuff we're talking about in women economic empowerment one thing is very clear we need a coalition of the willing and I was really struck by that and I hope that you will enjoy my conversation with her because I really did see you on the other side. Ulibata, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Mariam. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm keeping well in these oh. very uh, busy times. I'm so happy to have you, you know. <laughs> I'm delighted. You know that I'm a big fan of yours and the great work that you do around the world. No, no, I'm really happy for um for this podcast. So I'll, I'll tell you a bit why did I invite you on this podcast. One is you are really someone that I really love and admire for your authenticity, the work you do across the world, you know, and you were the first person to actually support I Am The Code. I remember when we started in 2016, we didn't have many people that believed in us, but you invited me in Senegal um, into, you know, gave me a boost And, uh, and what I say to young girls all the time is, you know, it's important to always be grateful and be thankful for people who helped you in the past. And, uh, and the second component is um, you are a very kind person. You're always recommending us and connect, connecting us with people. You know, you invited me to your house. You're a very nice person. And I think that the world needs uh, more human beings who have privilege and power, but share it with everyone. Uh, and then for me, as an African woman, I really look up to your leadership and, and I'm following everything you're doing across the world. 
and uh, I'm always proud when you post LinkedIn messages and things like that. So I hope the young girls who are growing up right now, when they grow up, they can they can see people like you as an example. So that's why I wanted to have you. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for that introduction. Really, very very touching and very kind of you. You know, you know my admiration for you. I I think you are a blessing to the world and and I'm if I can support in any way you know half of the stuff you said I don't even remember doing them but uh, you know that I believe in being my sister's keeper uh, and I think that's very important that we um, we network that we help each other and anything I can do to contribute I'm more than happy to do that thank you thank you so much Uli so before we start I just wanted to know what did you do um what was the last thing you do before the lockdown I know you at home right now working in, <laughs> Sen- in Senegal what did you do my last outing um was uh, the generation equality um meeting so let me tell the the young people online what is the generation equality um you know in 1995 45,000 women uh, met in Beijing China to draft something called the Beijing Platform for Action which is really 12 critical points that women around the world wanted to to tackle and uh, you know expecting to have some results and impact that included education for all health uh, leadership Uh, the girl child opportunity you name it and then uh, this year was the 25 years that we were celebrating the 25 years of the beijing platform for action mm-hmm. uh, we are supposed to meet around the world in, in senegal and uh, and in south africa connected live and then um, you know the last meeting was was a, a great um, brainstorming meeting where we invited the youth a civil society organization partners to discuss how we were going to design that big gathering that was supposed to happen uh, from the 7th to the 8th of July in Senegal. I was supposed and, to be there, right? <laughs> and you were supposed to be there and that was February. Mm-hmm. And then um COVID happened and uh, everything has been put on hold. Uh, so that was my last activity um before lockdown oh dear me you know we were in kakumo refugee camp in kenya i know you you tweeted for us and all of that so we went to see the girls we celebrated international women day mm-hmm. and we were there for 15 days with the girls and i was with, it was just like so amazing when we came back we couldn't go out anymore <laughs> yes yes absolutely but how are you feeling how is everyone You know I'm I'm feel I have mixed feelings because um I I see let me tell you the positive and then I'll tell you the not so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the positive thing is that uh, in Africa the COVID-19 gave the opportunity to young people to develop solutions. So today when you look um you know everybody has um, has uh, used their res- resilience to innovate mm-hmm. whether it's a traditional remedy based on artemisia in madagascar whether it's some young people in senegal making some ventilators so i so many so many people um are using the opportunity of this pandemic to come up with new ideas to just look at uh, you know revise our strategy you know about agriculture do we want to depend on other countries to feed us and how do we invest more in our local content. So that's those I I call the positive things. The negative things uh, from the COVID-19 and that we are working so hard on is uh, what we call the shadow pandemic. And the shadow mm-hmm. pandemic is the millions of women that are being forgotten around the world. Forgotten uh, because now that COVID-19 is here, um, women are not going to do the the pregnancy checks. 
they are not taking their children for vaccinations. Uh, women who are, you know, mostly in the informal sector, you know, in Africa, we say that 70% of, of, you know, the informal sector is made of women, women who go daily uh, to find a livelihood so they can feed their family. Um, and those people are, are really struggling right now uh, during the COVID-19. You will see that a lot of countries are putting some recovery packages together, some resilient packages together. But I, I, my, my impression is that all those um, stimulus packages are very much focused on formalized private sector. But if you are a, a woman, you know, in a market in, in Nairobi or Lagos or Dakar, um, how do you access those packages if you are not formalized? Uh, so those are the, 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 the things that we are working on. How do we deal with social economic impact of the pandemic? How do we deal with the sanitary issues of the pandemic? And then, you know, I, I want to share with you the, the initiative that we are so proud of in, in our region is that the women seamstress and designers launched a campaign called One Senegalese, One Mask, and it became One Malian, One Mask. And those women, you know, we, we, we bought the first 10,000 masks from them because they wanted their workers to have something to do. Mm -hmm. And now they have produced over 350,000 masks that were donated to, to vulnerable groups. So uh, those are the pluses, the, the, what I call the, the success stories uh, from, from the COVID. But we, we are faced with many, many challenges still. No, absolutely. I mean, you are such an innovative person. And uh, and I remember I always said to people, you know, Ulimata is actually a businesswoman before anything else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she studied business. So she's a businesswoman before, you know, she understands investment and business. It's, it's really amazing that I think sometimes that's why I wanted the girls to understand that, you know, you just don't work for big organization, but you actually have a, you know, amazing skills and background. Let's talk about your youth a little bit. You know, may, many people may not know where you grow up. Up and you know and, and what did you do when you were young? Can you tell us a little bit about your youth and where did you grow up? What did you study? I was born in Dakar, Senegal, um, the, the capital city um, from parents who were uh, from another city called Kaolak. Uh, so they were not um, you know from, from the, the, the main capital. Um, and I and I came from a, from a I think middle class, you know, regular people background. And I studied um, all my, my, my primary and secondary uh, you know, years in Senegal. And then at the age of 17, I went to Canada. I joined my siblings who were already there, my brother and my sister. Um, and I, um, I was interested in studying finance. So after five years in, uh, in Canada, um, I got a bachelor's degree in finance. I was 22. And then after that, I came back to Senegal and started working. Um, I was very young. Wow, I was 22. That was like 28 years ago. Um, and I started working um, in uh, an accounting and audit firm called Ernst & Young. Maybe some young people will remember those firms called the Big Fives. And uh, I really, I really had a, a very, you know, um, very early on opportunities to have responsibilities. I remember being a mission chief um, and and going with colleagues. And when I when we went to the client to audit them, they would not believe that I was the the mission chief, that I was the leader. Uh, they will, uh, you know, always uh, ask questions to the men or, or people who looked a bit older. Uh, but I, I I had the opportunity very early on to, 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 to see the world, uh, to see, um, you know, people with very diverse background, because I have to admit that the university I went to in Canada, 
the University of Montreal Business School called HEC Montréal, um, had people from everywhere. Uh, we had people from Morocco, from the Congo, from Cameroon. So at the age of, of 17 already, uh, I, I met people with, uh, from Africa who came with their wealth of knowledge and the culture. And um, I was part of the network of young, uh, young Africans of the school. So once a year, we used to have some, some events where we showcase you know, some of the, the, the best work that, and talent and artists from our different countries. So I've always been very, very active. Uh, you know, in the student movement. Wow. That's really amazing. You know, people always tell me, do you know Ulimata? I said, yeah, you know, she's from Senegal. I said, yes, I do. <laughs> I said, uh, and, and, but, you know, I'm from Senegal, but we such have different background, you and I. I, when I, I remember I grew up in Kaulak, you know, at the age of 13 years old, I was taken away from Kaulak. So, you know, if I waited a few more years, I'd probably meet you in Kaulak. Yes, 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 absolutely. My parents are from Kaulak. My elder sister Rose was born in Kaulak. So there's like a connection. We still have our grand mother's homes and grandfather's homes there so it's really our tie we are very much uh, connected to the city of Kaula. it's fascinating but also what is really amazing is that um you know what i said to people about society and human beings we both come from the same country but we have different upbringings and different childhoods so mm-hmm. it's fascinating so that's why i think as we need to think about uh, people who come from the same backgrounds but mm-hmm. have different, uh, you know, d- different upbringings and different opportunities. But what is where is where is Senegal? Can you tell us a little bit more about Senegal? People might not know about this. I talk about it all the time, but people might not know. <laughs> <laughs> so Senegal is the most western uh, country, on, you know, uh, at the tip of Africa. I think we are the shortest, closest country to the United States. Uh, 16 million inhabitants bordering five countries such as Mauritania, Mali, uh, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, and the Gambia. And, um, uh, you know, a, a very peaceful country in West Africa where uh, I believe, um, uh, you know, we, we, we have democracy, we, we, we have change of government. So uh, that's how I would describe Senegal, a, a country that is rich, uh, you know, with Teranga, Teranga is um, what you will call maybe in East Africa, uh, being welcoming Karibu, Karibu Sana. It's what we call in Cote d'Ivoire, Aquaba. So we, we, we are a country with a great sense of hospitality. And that's how I will describe Senegal. Yeah, I think you describe Senegal better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Senegal, you know, Senegal is also, we, we, you know, we had the house of slaves in Senegal. And uh, we, you know, yes. many people have been asking about this when we had the Black Lives Matter uh, issues in you know, the campaigns and all of this. So do you know a little bit you know, how Senegal is linked to the, you know, to the truth to slavery? Absolutely. So, um, you know, off the coast of uh, Senegal, there's an island called Gore Island. And Gore Island has a, a very famous um, site uh, where, you know, all the slaves that were captured used to be kept before departure for the U.S. Uh, today, the, 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 the government, in partnership with African-Americans, are building something called the Memorial de Gore, the Gore Memorial. So they will make a, a site out of it. Uh, it's one of our most visited landmarks. Uh, people, you know, Barack Obama has been there. You know, Mariam has brought uh, uh, quite a few, uh, you know, important people, African-Americans who came uh, to find their roots. And I think that's what connects us to the U.S. I think uh, the diaspora that is now through DNA is able to establish their, their origin. 
uh, are very much connected to the West Coast, whether it's Senegal, Ghana, all those countries where you will find, uh, you know, former, you know, slave houses, uh, we call them um, Maison des Esclaves. And I think uh, anybody that has the opportunity should visit because it's a, it's a moment of reckoning. It's painful. It's a painful past. But I think um, it's, um, it shows us um, exactly what we don't want to, to, to see happen in the world again. No, that's uh, that's very very true. I, I've been uh, I've been suffering racism quite a lot in the West. You know, I, you know, I live in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, I spent all my life in the West, really. But I feel, I feel um, discrimination. And we were talking about this during the the the, the death of George George mm-hmm. Floyd and um, how the diaspora is feeling and how we are feeling as human beings. And I think during the lockdown, what I've learned is that. You know, we're now starting to understand that discrimination happens all the time. Now, it has been happening all of, our, all of our lives. So my question to you is, how are you feeling about this? Because you went to Canada and studied, you know, you had early opportunities as a young girl growing up in Senegal, but also you had to fight your way uh, to be where you are today. So how are you feeling about the whole, the whole world today? Uh, can you just tell us a bit about that? So when I look at the world today, uh, the key lesson from the protest, from everything that is happening around us, is that we have to be activists. I think it's extremely important that we play a role in our community, in our cities, in our countries, and around the world. We cannot be on bypasses and, you know, stand by while things are happening. So that's lesson number one that I've learned from this. The second lesson I learned from, uh, you know, the death of George uh, Floyd is that everywhere we are, we have to fight injustice and inequality. Because everything that is happening today that is amplified uh, by um, social media, uh, you know, TV networks, shows us, gives us the mirror of unjust and unfair and unequal societies. And I think that brings it back to to my, my own passion, which is gender equality. I think women around the world are being uh, discriminated against. Uh, if you look today, uh, about you know the status of women in terms of human rights, um, we still left behind. Uh, you will, uh, you and I discussed the issues of child marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, harmful traditional practices such as cutting. Uh, so the young African girl, if I take the poster child of uh, discrimination and injustices. I see um, a girl. Uh, I see a girl who doesn't have the same opportunities as, as everybody. And usually she's uh, the victim of uh, violent extremism. She's a displaced person. She's the person that doesn't have the, the equal opportunity. The second thing about after rights is representation. Today, um, the data shows us that um, the average person in Africa is 19 years old. Um, and those 19 years old, uh, you know, people, youth, are not represented. If you take today a family picture of the African Union, you will find old men uh, leading our continent. You would not find a single woman on that picture, let alone a young person. So I think representation is part of our activism. How do we give youth a seat at the table? The third thing is about resources the third R, because we, if we have rights and we have representation, we will need funding 
you and I talk about funding all the time, because if we want to get out of poverty, if we want to give uh, opportunities to people for, for to improve their education, their health, their livelihood, the allocation of resources to, to our issues, issues that are dire uh, to us, that are you know important to us, has to be significant. So this is the state of the world today. I, I feel that uh, you know as women we are discriminated against. We find we find countries who are doing better than others. Some countries have some kind of parity law. Uh, you know, Senegal is one of them. Rwanda is doing very well, um, giving you know equal seats to women in parliament. But I think uh, beyond women, we also have to give seats uh, to youth at the table. I really love what you said, Ulimata, and thank you so much for everything you're doing for gender equality. And I think for me, you have really shown to the world that when you say gender equality, you mean women need to have money, women economic empowerment. And I think what one of the things I've learned from you is when you say gender equality and, and gender parity, you are really pushing so many women. I mean, the work you've done for women in Senegal and across the world, and, and it's just fascinating. I like what you said about activism. And then also the fact that, uh, you know, I was I didn't have the opportunity many Senegalese women had to go to school. Uh, and I was sexually abused when I was 11 years old. But this year, you made my day when when I saw you uh, with many, many women across the world, uh, you know, fighting, but also pushing policymakers mm -hmm. to have a dialogue around, uh, you know, the, the law we had in Senegal. I've been fighting for this for so long. I was so proud to wake up in January 2020 to read, uh, you know, you finally, you and many women, of course, uh, finally, uh, you know, work with the government to prom to promulgate a law for sexual violence. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, it was the memorable dialogue that touched my heart and it really set my 2020. <laughs> set my 2020. I was so happy after 50 years, uh, you know, and so many young women being abused, me being traumatized today as a young girl who was abused. And the fact that you did this with so many women just touched my heart. Can you just tell us a little bit about how did you go about it? How did how did it happen? What how did you feel after you you know you left the palace? So I have to you know step back a little bit because uh, the whole conversation for me mm -hmm. uh, started in May 2019. In May 2019, I just returned uh, from Central African Republic. I came from Bangui, and during my mission to 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 Bangui, the capital of Central African Republic. I met women, um, you know, who have been raped. And as you know, in Central Africa, rape is a weapon of war. So I sat in that meeting and I cried with those women who were now being supported by one of our program um, on, on economic empowerment. So we were giving them seed funding so they can, you know, start small businesses. And some came to share um, you know, their, their journeys and also their, their successes. I left Bangui with a very heavy heart um, saying to myself, we have to make sure this does not happen again. And I land in Senegal and in Senegal, a young girl in the, north, in the south of Senegal was raped and killed. Um, and uh, I was like, no. So when I landed the following day, there was a demonstration. And, you know, at the UN, we are not uh, always uh, allowed to, to, to participate in, in all these public demonstrations. But uh, I felt that it was the right thing to do. So with some colleagues from the UN, in our personal capacity, we went 
we participated and uh, at some point they gave me the mic and i and i made a i made a plea you know i i advocated for why don't we change the, the the you know the the status quo you know media you have a role to play so i spoke for maybe two minutes but many women were there civil society organization women parliamentarians uh you know representative of the government the minister of gender and women's affairs and i think the following months uh, during the council of ministers uh, the president put it on the table and say you know uh, i want you to 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 check uh, how can we make uh, the sentences tougher uh, for rape and pedophilia and you know building up on that political will and building up on the people you know saying zero tolerance for this kind of behavior because in senegal i think that in 2019 we already had 19 cases of, of violent rape and i was very delighted to see that maybe we were in a country with a very low tolerance the threshold of of tolerance for this kind of behavior because you know maybe in central africa you will find hundreds and thousands of women who were raped um so that's when the ball started so the civil society with the ministry of justice uh worked together to 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 prepare the first draft of the law uh we supported with funding with expertise uh, eventually the draft law was presented in parliament um that was i think on the 26th of of december we spent the whole day in parliament women associations un women uh, ministry of justice uh, debated the law some of the articles some people felt the you know 10 years in jail up to life was too much we were adamant that it was not enough and at the end of that very lengthy day in parliament uh they voted for it and uh, that was on the 26th of december and it was officially promulgated into law uh, on the 10th of january by the president and we all went and, and witnessed when he he did that as you know he's a he for she and i think you know we have to keep our he for she accountable and uh, mm. uh, for us it was very important that he walks the talk and signing that into law was for for us extremely important and then the ball now is in all our corners to make sure that the the law is uh, known uh disseminated uh translated in local languages so people could not say i did not know in 2010 i didn't know you then i was uh, working with the Sen- uh, the association of senegalese lawyers and mm-hmm. i sat in the parliament for two days and then uh, in that time in that time the president we had was a different president mm-hmm. and i've been working so hard with enda chairman to to make this work and and we didn't we didn't manage to make it work and then uh, no one took it seriously when i was sharing my story to the you know because i was raped at 11 years old in a colonic school mm-hmm. and so and so i was sharing this but you know it's, it's, if sometimes i think also what is really interesting about what you're saying is that it takes a leadership in in africa in countries like this like mental health uh, issues it's taboo they don't talk about it people don't believe you they think you are lying you're not telling the truth and mm-hmm. i i think i've been doing a lot of research around uh, sexual gender based violence across the world and what is happening in senegal is happening in brazil it's happening in in kenya it's happening in so many countries my question to you is is this because of leadership your your the leadership style you have in pushing things to get done because we didn't manage to get this done but we've been talking about it since 2000 and you know like 9 or something 
Uh, and what does make you uh, this person who just push things to get done? It was a, a massive achievement, but you know, you may not know what you've done, but me being a young girl in Senegal, from Senegal, your country, who have been sexually abused by my Quranic teacher, it was a massive deal for me, massive deal for me to see that this is happening. So can you share with, with our um, you know, audience, but also leaders who are listening, how do you get things done? To change social norms, to change laws, to change policy, you need what I call the coalition of the willing. Mm -hmm. You need everybody. Uh, you need uh, men champions, because you and I know that today our activism has to include the men. We call it at the UN Women, our he for she. Strong men who say, I support my wife, I support my sister, I support my daughter. Men who will say, I have the power to change this law and I will do it. Because for the longest time, the women have done their activism alone. Mm -hmm. They used to make a lot of noise to get into meetings, to get a seat at the table, to move policy. Uh, but we need these days to have our men uh, with us to say, you know what, I'm going to, to, to the World Economic Forum meeting and my plus one would be a woman. Uh, I am, you know, not sitting on this panel that is only made by men. I, you know, I have some very good friends who say every time they put my name and I look and it's all men, I will tell them, you know, I know a few good women who can also participate. Uh, to be able to change policy, to change social norms, to bring about change in any environment, you need the coalition of the willing. You need government, you need civil society organizations, you need private sector, you need the UN, because that's how we bring about change. Okay, so now, now let me just talk about a um, little bit about discrimination. And then I think what you said about, you know, bringing the coalition of the willing. But have you been ever discriminated? I mean, you mentioned when you were young, when you arrived in a room, everybody was thinking, you know, you're the only one in the room as a young woman. You know, have you been ever discriminated in your work? Yes. When you are in university and you are studying with your peers, I, I didn't feel discriminated against because I went to a, to, a, to a university, you know, that was very diverse. I think that we were as many women as, as men. I think most uh, adult women will start facing, um, you know, discrimination in the world of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's when you will see that, uh, you know, the, the men will have maybe faster careers. And today the data shows us that, um, you know, there's pay inequality, that uh, men, uh, you know, make uh, for every dollar a, a man makes, a, women, a woman around the world makes, makes 70 cents. So the discrimination is subtle. It is not something that I think is uh, it's so obvious. I think that's why data and data analysis is so critical. Because you, you, you cannot change norms by only looking at yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to look at the critical mass. Because if you look at the critical mass, that's where you will find the trends. That's where you will find the behavior. And that's where you will be able to say, you know what? Women's careers are not moving as fast as others. Hmm. Is all the senior management or the board members all male? What are we going to do about it? And then you will have a strategy. You will have a strategy with a, with a clear action plan and also, you know, um, a result framework that keeps everybody accountable. Mm -hmm. Because as you know, everything that gets counted, get done. 
that would be my my take on on discrimination. Um, I think also it's it's important um, now that we are talking about the youth that the youth also get the opportunity. Um, I think we need to trust them. Uh, I think we need to trust their creativity, their, their genius in them. Because it's not because that you are young that you, you you don't have agency and you don't have a voice. What makes Ulimata, you know, just just be candid and honest with us, you know, how you your dresses are so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I said to I said to one of my friends the other day, you know, I remember you, you know, for me to start dressing nice, I had to look up to you like, you know, I was dressing so badly, but you started giving me tailors and like some fashion. What makes Ulimata, you know, apart from the dressing beautiful, you know, what makes you, because you have this unique beauty in you outside and everything. And but what makes Ulimata? I think you are so kind. Um, you know, I think if I had to summarize myself mm-hmm. into one word, I would say purposeful. Everything I do, every day has to gives me a sense of purpose so whether even if i'm just buying bread i was having this conversation with my daughter this morning and i was telling her that the bread was coming from a, a small business uh, you know being run by by a lady who who used local cereals i was telling her that the cups we were using from was from a, a designer called fatili who made these african cups so i wanted through that conversation with my daughter, who's my younger self, to show her that everything she does, she has to be purposeful with it. Um, I try very hard to, to, to be very conscious about things that I do and things that I say, uh, because I think it's important for all of us to know that we have a mandate. Mm-hmm. When I stand somewhere uh, around the world, you know, I went to Yokohama, I went to Tokyo for the TCAD. When I stand there, I don't just represent Ulimata. I represent every single African woman that doesn't have a seat at the table. That's important to me. And what would you say to the youngest Ulimata? I know your beautiful daughter is a creative person and I've seen her artwork and everything she has been doing across the world. But what would you say to the youngest Ulimata who, you know, grew up in Senegal and, and you know, went to uh, abroad to study what would you say today, if, you, if you're thinking back all of these years, what would you say to the youngest Ulimata? Um, you know, I turned 50 this year. And what I've learned, and I will probably tell my younger self, is that failure doesn't exist. Everything that happens to you, and it can be very bad and can very painful, uh, is preparing you for something. So... Failures are actually lessons. And I, I, and I say that to my children all the time. Oh, this happened, that happened. I said, what's the lesson? What's the lesson? What can we learn from it? Uh, personally, um, you know, as a society, as a community, I think, uh, you know, when, when you didn't get that job when you were younger, you're like, oh my God, life is so unfair. How come I didn't get it? But you didn't get that job, and maybe one year later you got even a bigger job, and maybe that failure, which was a you know that door that did not open, was not your door. If it does not open, is not your door. So the lesson is you have to be purposeful. But if things don't work out the way you want, if there are failures, those are lessons. Those are assets that you should add to your to your bag and continue. Boys and girls, I hope you have listened to that. 
And then I think that led me to my question. So we have girls across the world, as you know, we have 18,000 of them right now in 68 countries. And, uh, you know, you have been a great supporter to I Am The Code, as I mentioned, and we are so honored to have you on this podcast. And uh, the girls and the boys are listening to this podcast. And um, I think they've really heard what you said. But our girls and boys are refugees. They live in difficult conditions. Uh, they work really hard. They, they don't have, they have dreams, but they don't know if they're going to achieve these dreams and what's going to happen to them. So we've been mentoring them quite a lot and getting leaders to mentor them. So what would you say to young girls and boys? Uh, I'm sure you see them in your trips all the time who don't have chances, opportunities, and they're living, they're living in deep poverty because of, uh, you know, society and things that are happening across the world. But they are sitting right now in Kakumo refugee camp in Kenya, which I would love to bring you one day, mm-hmm. uh, and, and listening to this podcast. But they're energized, they're resilient young girls, they, they're positive people, they're from different countries across Africa. Uh, but they just are in difficult conditions. And they are refugees in our own continent. What would you say to these young girls, uh, you know, 10 years from now? So, um, you know, I visited um, uh, the refugee camp in Maidaguri in the north of Nigeria in Borno State. And I always tell uh, young people when I meet them, what does Malala and the Chipok girls have in common? What, are their st- what is the, the common thread of both their stories? The common thread of their stories is education. Malala was going to school and some violent extremists shot her in the head because they thought that an educated girl was a threat. The people who went to the to, to Chibok, you know, to, to and, and kidnapped the Chibok girls. I'm sure you young people remember the, the campaign Bring Back Our Girls. They've been missing since 2014. I think we we found half of them. The people who took those 200 and odd girls from from their school that day were threatening education. They wanted to scare people so bad that they will keep the girls in their homes. So my one and most single important piece of advice is that education is critical to getting out of poverty. When we went to Maiduguri in that refugee camp, which I think is quite similar to Kakuma, you will find a lot of women, you will find a lot of girls. So I will say, take technology as an enabler. What Mariam Jam is doing for you, uh, what UN organizations are doing for you, you have to grab it with both hands. Because if there's only one connection, internet connection in the whole of Kakuma, you have to make sure that you use that connection to learn, to learn how to code, to learn how to, 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 uh, to you know, any science, any thematic area that is of interest to you will take you out of Kakuma. So I will say to the girls, technology is an enabler. Use it to educate yourself. Learn the wealth of knowledge that is, uh, uh, you know, available at the, at, at the click of a button. Mm-hmm. Even if it's only one internet connection uh, that is in your in your in your community, the second thing I will say is that find a small way of generating revenue. And I will share actually after the the, the, the conversation with Mariam, mm-hmm. uh, one of our tutorial that is uh, very successful 
is about soap making. Soap making requires very little investment and that soap making will make you a lot of dollars. And today, uh, you know, when we talk about personal hygiene and all of that, we did a training uh, of women on soap making. And today, we, we I, you know, my phone is full of WhatsApp messages with, with women who said, now uh, I'm selling them to my community. I'm selling them to the, to the market. Because if you are able to generate small revenue, you are able to, to pay for more education. You are able to invest in yourself, in your health, and maybe larger opportunities will come to you. That, that's a very good um, point, Uli. And then I think one of the thing, one of the work you've been doing around, not just you know empowering women, but you also really focus on the economic part. The, mm-hmm. the fact that you are really uh, you know highlighting all these women entrepreneurs because at the end of the day, we all need money, right? Absolutely. Do you think, is it why mentoring is important? All the women you've been mentoring, because I know you have mentees and women you've been supporting as well. Can you share that a little bit? How are you mentoring women, giving them advice and to, to focus more on the economic part as well? Mentoring is critical. I like to say you need to know the power of your ship. And the power of your ship is relationship, partnership, and mentorship. Very important to be connected to other people that are willing and generous enough to share with you their knowledge. Um, I I mentored and I still mentor a lot of young women, you know, older women. Actually, I was even working towards becoming a coach, uh, you know, to to formalize it a little bit because I do it so much informally that I wanted to, to do it in a more structured way. So I think mentorship is critical. And I also would like to tell the youth you know, beyond the fact that you can be mentored by Mariam and myself, and these days, mentorship is actually even virtual. Uh, mm-hmm. I can connect and have a mentorship, you know, session or coaching session with many, many, many women around the world. I remember once being on a program uh, where my mentee was in Malaysia. She was actually a, a, a young woman starting a business uh, doing sanitary baths with uh, bamboo fiber. And she was trying to to build her business. And my role was to help her uh, with her finances, her business plan. And then we never met. Uh, We never met to this day. So I think technology, again, gives us an opportunity to connect to much larger group than just one-on-one mentoring. And I think that's what Mariam does uh, very, very well. I think it's also important for you, the youth listening to us, that Mm -hmm. you mentor people who are younger than you. Uh, Because it's important that everything you get uh, that you 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 be able to pass it along. Uh, I always tell people, you know, if I give you something, make sure that you pass it along. Whether it's this postcard, podcast that you're listening, whether it's something that you learned during a, a visit from Mariam, you have to commit yourself to at least sharing it with one person. Because that's when you get this ripple effect. That's how you leverage uh, the time that, you know, all of us invested in, in, in sharing our knowledge and our expertise and our, you know, just our stories with you. I'm going to expand on that, Ulimata, because this is a very important point. I think one of the things I, I said, and this is true, you have coached me to, uh, because I'm a geek, you know, I'm a coder, I'm a technologist, so I've never dressed nice before. <laughs> so I remember you saying to me, you know, in a very nice way, and I think also mentoring is being kind. And I remember you telling to me, oh, I know this tire from Senegal. You know, you said, I know this tire from Senegal. You can dress nice. And you kind of like start showing me these African designers. And then I remember for the first time I was doing a keynote uh, at a conference and uh, 
and my dress was made by, by a Ghanaian woman you connected me with. And I was so proud of myself that day because I stood up on stage. I felt powerful and I felt so grateful that a Senegalese woman from my country uh, recommended that I, I buy, a, you know, I, I get this dress. I like the fact you talk about knowledge sharing, but passing, passing the baton to other people. Uh, but today with social media, we're all trying to do things quick. Uh, we're not building relationship. I like what you said about the, you know, the, the, knowing your ship. Uh, would you mind just expanding a little bit more on how do we stay grounded? How do we stay focused? Because it's not everyone who's going to have access to Olimata or to Mariam or to other people. But once this knowledge is shared, how do you stay grounded? Because our girls, they meet so many people that come to the camp, like foreigners. Uh, so many people come to the camp. And I always tell them, wait, take your time. Don't rush it. Uh, how do you, what, what advice do you have for them to just remain grounded? Yes, I think, you know, to, to, to remain grounded, it's so important for all of us. And, you know, it's funny because I'm listening to you talking about me as, uh, you know, this uh, great person. And I, and, I, and, I, and I take it with great humility uh, because there's so much more to do, Mariam. I, I feel that I'm not doing enough. Every day when I go to bed, I'm like, you know, what what am I grateful for? What can I give more to the world? I think all of us uh, want to be remembered as people who gave so much to the world. And I think, you know, you are one of them. You are SDG goalkeeper. Uh, the Sustainable Development Goal Agenda is extremely important. So for, for young girls who are in a camp, um, who see a lot of visitors, mm-hmm. And sometimes it just looks like a random visits. I always say to young people, there's nothing random in your life. That visitor that came for an hour, um, who did a photo op, uh, shared with you maybe uh, some of their expertise and left, um, don't see it as a waste of time because that person maybe left the Kakuma maybe left Maiduguri and went and amplified and gave agency uh, to to what's happening in there. You will have people who will come differently. You will find, uh, you know, extraordinary women like Mariam who will go with her team and spend two weeks with you. And those two weeks are a lot on on somebody who is as busy as Mariam. But then you are able to also take away from it. Ulimata, you know, covering 24 countries, I may not have the, 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 the opportunity to come and visit physically. And now with COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, even harder because we don't want to come and, and, and start uh, infecting people in, in Kakuma. But you are so high on our agenda. A couple of days ago, it was refugee days. And I think uh, Mariam and myself, anybody who, who has met refugees uh, before was able to amplify uh, and raise awareness, ask for more resources, because we know uh, if more resources are, are allocated to, to the issues that we are putting to the front, then we will be able to get women, women and girls and people out of refugee camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think our goal in the humanitarian uh, action world is that how do we strategize so that refugee camps don't exist anymore. If they are, in a, in a, if we do it, it has to be in an emergency. We know that prevention is critical to the work that we do because all these um, you know, situations with refugees are due 
to problems, whether it's violent extremism, whether it's to natural disaster, people are being displaced because of something. So our role on prevention of any form of conflict or crisis is critical. The second role that we have is the role of protection. When people are in difficulties, when people are in refugee camps, our biggest and most urgent role is to make sure they are protected. You will find refugee camps that are being set up uh, maybe in the Sahel. And at first, they will not separate toilets of girls of, with toilets of, of men. And then in the middle of the night, you know, we have some incident where girls went to the, to the bathroom and they were, they were raped. So in humanitarian action is extremely important for us to keep our gender lens on because women and girls are the most vulnerable. So we make sure that toilets are really, really, really far apart, uh, that refugee camps are well lit, uh, that definitely education, uh, you know, even if you have to set up some virtual schooling is critical as well. So, and of, of course, the, the, the last uh, P, you know, we talk about prevention, protection. The last piece is participation. We want people who are in refugee camps because of crisis to participate in building back better and not just, you know, um, stand by why other people will, will strategize and elaborate what is the exit strategy. We think you should be at the center of the solution that is being developed. You work with so many women across the world. You help women in Senegal uh, and you work with many, many women, in fact. So why, why is it important to, you, you made it your mission uh, to support women. And I have seen you elevating so many African women. You sit on many boards and you, you know, you ju- you're part of judging panels. You're always recommending all the women. I received so many emails from you recommending me to some stuff. Why is it important for women to help women? Uh, also women to elevate other women. Why, why is it important, Uli? Uh, because it's important um, to create a network. I think we, if we look today at all our challenges in mm-hmm. terms of rights, representation, and resources, we will not uh, be able to, to achieve uh, you know, the, the planet 50-50, the gender equal world that we want, if we don't you know, hold ourselves together, if we don't partner if we don't synergize and strategize, as I always say, because you will be sitting somewhere where I'm not, but I know you've got my back. Mm-hmm. Wherever I am sitting, I am always representing the mandate. I'm representing women, I'm representing Africa, and I don't take it lightly. I don't take it lightly, and it's because I really want to live a purposeful life. Uh, I think that would be my common thread. I think uh, uh, I want to, 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 you know, to, to, to change the world. I want to, uh, to see a world that is more equal. And in order to do that, I have to invest my time. First of all, I think I'm very fortunate to work for UN Women, which is the, the UN agency um, that was mandated with women uh, empowerment and gender equality. Uh, so I do what I love. I wake up every day. And when I wake up every day, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with issues of leadership and, and political participation of women. I'm dealing with economic empowerment, uh, with ending violence against women, with issues of peace and security and humanitarian action. Uh, with issues of macroeconomy, gender-responsive budgeting, data. I think I am extremely blessed to work every single day on making 
um, gender equality a reality. That's number one. I think I'm also um, extremely fortunate uh, to be an African woman. I think um, if we want to build back better after COVID-19, if we want our our continent uh, to be, um, you know, to develop, to to emerge, on appelle ça l'émergence, we call it the the emergence emergence of African economies. They have to really unlock uh, the potential of the African women. Uh, by giving her access uh, to assets, to land, uh, by making sure that, uh, you know, we have access to education, to health, to livelihood. Uh, I think that's how we're going to change the narrative for us in Africa. Wow. That's so amazing. Well, I've got a couple of more bonus questions for you. So, And the first bit I'm going to ask is, what is humanity for you? Humanity for me is mm-hmm. Ubuntu, is Pamoja. I am because we are. What is resilience? Never giving up. And I know we talk about love and sharing all the time. What does love mean to you? Loving your neighbors and loving Africa, like you representing us when you stand, you're not standing just for Olimata, but you're standing for everybody. What does love mean to you? You know, love is so, is at the center of everything that we do. Uh, I remember listening to a, a conversation between Paolo Coelho, the writer, and Oprah, and he talked about love. And he said, the day you die and you meet God, he would not ask you, did you pray enough? He's going to ask you, did you love enough? And then just one more bit. What have you done for the last three years that you are really, really proud of? That's a good question. My goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I, I think I think I am I am proud of many things. I think I cannot even summarize it into one. I think uh, whether it's, um, you know, working with traditional leaders uh, around Africa uh, so we can change the social norms. I think it's it's fantastic because UN women traditionally did not work with traditional leaders and religious leaders who are such important, uh, you know, influences in our community. That I'm very proud of, the fact that we are able as as a UN agency to engage with that group. I'm also very proud of the fact that, you know, we we have quite a few parity laws that have passed in our region, whether it's a Cabo Verde, whether it's a Sokota in, in Mali or Burkina Faso. So representation of, of women is critical for us. Uh, thirdly, we mentioned it earlier, uh, any law that passes on the continent uh, that gives us rights representation on resources, whether it's the law on rape uh, in Senegal or some some repelling some uh, discriminatory law in any country that says, you know, I, you cannot open a bank account without your husband or something like that. So I think my, my proudest moments are the moments where I felt that we moved the needle. Well... Olimata Sar, I am so happy and proud to have you. You know, if you ask me, probably in the 1990s that I will interview uh, my fellow Senegalese woman who is doing amazing work, not just in Senegal, but globally. And we are all watching you because I just think that you are so super amazing. Thank you for your time and thank you for joining this podcast. Thank you, Olimata Sar. Thank you so much for having me, Mariam. Olimata is a leader and I personally appreciate her so much. I've learned so much from Ulimata. You know, we do get our resilience tested now and then, but we must work together in solidarity. We need to mean it and work together 
if we work together and mean it, we can make a difference in the lives of other people. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Amariam Jam. Join me soon for another I Am The Code podcast episode. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook. I want you to stay resilient. We will get there. Thank you for being here.